We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Sorry to cut short our break. I know David said 10 or 15, but we try to aim for a little shorter than that. So so, uh, we're going to get started. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6. We are continuing our series in the Sermon on the Mount. And welcome to our first time guests. My name is Paul Buckley. I'm a pastor here. I'm glad you're here. We uh, pray God's blessing on you and that you would experience His truth and His presence as we look at His Word. We're continuing our series in the Sermon on the Mount, this wonderful sermon given by Jesus that teaches us about life in the kingdom, kingdom life, what it looks like when we follow the king, when we follow him and his ways, the radical difference it makes in who we are and how we live. So we're making our way through this. We're in chapter 6. Last week we looked at how giving to the poor with our eyes on the Heavenly Father and His reward is the way that we give in the kingdom. This week we'll be looking and learning about praying with our eyes on our Heavenly Father. So as we prepare to hear from God and His Word, let's go to Him in prayer. Lord, thank You. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You, Jesus, for this wonderful sermon. And thank You, Lord, that it's not just something that was given 2,000 years ago, but, but something You speak to us through now. Lord, You are very interested in speaking to us. You are a speaking God who communicates and reveals Your glory. We thank You so much for it. And we ask You, Lord, as we look at Your Word, would You speak to us? Would You use me in the preaching of Your Word, Lord, to speak to Your people, to magnify Your name? Lord, we need You and we thank You that You are here. You are the, the Good Shepherd, Jesus. And You've sent the Spirit, Father and Son. You've sent God the Spirit to speak and to use the Word to be with us. So we invite You, Holy Spirit, and we ask You to teach us. We thank You for the blood of Christ that covers us and His life that speaks for us and the new life we have in You. So come and speak and be glorified, we pray. Amen. Amen. Chapter 6, verses 5 to 15. I think I'm a little, little, I sound a little loud, so sorry. I'm afraid to talk about There we go. Thank you, David. Verses 5 through 15. Jesus says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Matthew 6, 5-15. I think we could sum up this wonderful section of Scripture this way. When we really know God, when we really know God, when we know God truly, 
it changes how we pray. When we really know God, our prayers are changed. When you really know God, your prayers are different. The title of the message is A Different Kind of Prayer. So we're going to look at this passage and learn about a different kind of prayer. We're going to look at the two instances in this section where Jesus points out the wrong way to pray. And then we'll take time to look at the two alternative right ways of praying based on the true knowledge, really knowing God and his character. So the first wrong way to pray, Jesus talks about the hypocrite. And we met the hypocrite last week. We learned that hypocrite is a word that means actor. It's somebody who puts on a show. It's related to wearing a mask, portraying yourself in a certain way to, to win the crowd. So a hypocrite is somebody who, who acts a certain way that's not genuine before others to win their approval. So we met the hypocrite last week and how the hypocrite gave. And this week we see how the hypocrite prays. Jesus says that the hypocrite loves to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that may be, they may be seen by others. The hypocrite is looking for a result through prayer. The hypocrite's desire actually in prayer, though, is, is not necessarily what they're praying, isn't what isn't the glory of God. What the hypocrite wants is the approval of men. The reward that the hypocrite is seeking in prayer is the praise of men. So prayer for the hypocrite, prayer for the one who's basing their life on people rather than God, is to have people's approval. That's their reward. And so they pray accordingly. They pray on the street and in the synagogue. They pray to be seen by others, that they may get their reward. And you know what happens when they do that? Jesus says, they get their reward. They get the praise of men, and that's all they get. We learned about that last week. Now, we have to understand that Jesus isn't saying in this passage that public prayer is wrong and prohibited. He's not saying, no, you mustn't pray publicly at all, because if we read further in the Gospels, we see Jesus praying publicly and praying to be heard by others at times, and actually explicitly saying, it's for your sake that I said that. So public prayer isn't wrong. It's, it's not wrong to pray publicly. The point is in this isn't to prohibit public prayer. The point in this is to warn us against praying publicly for the purpose of impressing people. That our prayers would be a way, an avenue to impress people. Now, I guess we face this temptation in the context of the church. For them, they, they lived in a society that, that was, as a society, explicitly committed to the centrality of God in all things. So public prayer was not just on Sundays, but actually could be out in the streets. It's maybe hard for us to think about that. Can you imagine if our society was explicitly, as a society, committed to the centrality of Christ and walking with God as a people. And so as you just went about your daily business, everyone understood that. So praying in public, praying with your waiter at the restaurant was a normal thing. Praying in traffic maybe with the guy who pulls up next to you or something you do, it would be a very different society. And for them, they lived in that society where prayer was a very public thing. And nothing wrong with that. It's actually wonderful. Actually, I, I, well, we might have that one day, but I don't think we will until the final day, the final kingdom, when Christ returns, and then prayer will be public and wonderful. So it's a nice thing, but, but just like we learned last week, something that can start out as, as legitimate and pure devotion and worship to God because of our sinful tendencies can so easily slide into performance before others versus loving, pure devotion to God. And apparently that's what had happened in Jesus' day. The hypocrites are most likely some of the Pharisees, and they live for the praise of men. They have started out, they probably started out in a good place. If we trace the history of the Pharisees, it perhaps goes back to Ezra himself and his devotion to the Lord. They probably started out in a good place, but had slid to the place where their prayers were now empty prayers. There, there was the appearance of godliness, but not the heart behind it, because it was all about performance. It was about winning the praise of men. 
we can quickly slide from genuine, pure devotion into performance and living by the praise of men, being self-centered, self-reliant, trying to make ourselves the center and find our life here. And Jesus gives a dire warning to the hypocrite, as he did in our passage last week. You might just get what you want if that's what you live for. And that is all you get. The worst thing that can happen to us is for us to be satisfied with the praise of men. The worst thing that can happen to us is to be satisfied with the praise of men. Now, there's nothing wrong with the praise of men. The praise of men can be a good thing, an important thing. We can encourage one another with it. It helps us know, okay, am I being effective? Am I doing the right thing or the wrong thing? We need feedback. It isn't that we shouldn't have that. But the the danger is that we will be satisfied with the praise of men and totally forget the praise and reward of our good and glorious eternal God. It is a bad thing to be satisfied with the mere praise of men. The hypocrite has done that. They have forgotten who God is. They have forgotten or ignored who God is and His goodness and glory. And they have focused on men instead of God. And they've, they're looking to draw their life from the approval of men. And just like it is with anything else, if we try to find our life in anything else but God Himself, it will end up empty and twisted. So you can look at the history of the Pharisees and and the problems that happened because they were looking and living for the praise of men, many of them. I've done that too. Have you ever found yourself living for the praise of men? For others' approval to, to, to see what they think of you and really basing your life, how you feel about yourself on how others feel about you? And what, what, a, what a rat race that turns into. I can, I can think of instances in my recent history. I can think of instances in my past history. I, there was a time when I was in high school. I can remember I... I I didn't know the Lord. I, I knew about Him, but I didn't know Him personally. I hadn't trusted Him truly. And so I was living, finding my life in the praise of men. So, so much of what I did was about getting people's approval and feeling good about myself. So I can remember this roller coaster that I'd be on. I played sports, and you know a lot of the reason I played sports, now I enjoyed the sports, a lot of it was just to get the praise of men. To be, for people to say, wow, great game, what a great athlete you are. And they said that all the time. <laughs> Sorry. They, I added that part. That wasn't true. But that was what it was about, was, was getting people to, to, to do that. So I felt so great after a good football game or a good wrestling match and so horrible after a bad one. And I felt so great after, you know, I was at, at a party and I was the guy that had that witty comment, you know, that everybody laughed at. Went home thinking, yeah, I'm a great guy. I feel good about myself. And then times when I didn't do that, I felt terrible. I can remember how it felt when, when people would, I'd hear people had gossiped about me. Or times I remember with someone who even seemed to be my best friend had turned against me, stabbed me in the back in some way. This horrible roller coaster I lived on. Have you ever experienced that? That's what it is to live for the praise of men. It's empty. And the best reward you get are the times when they think you're great. How long does that last? How deeply satisfying is that truly? It's not. Jesus warns us about living this way. Living for the approval of men. Entering this rat race. That even if you win it, you're still a rat living for the approval of men, instead of living for the true reward we have in the Lord. God offers us a real lasting reward, something that's substantial and meaningful and doesn't fluctuate. He offers us a life based on Him, 
reliant on Him, trusting in Him, looking for His reward. He's a good God. He's over all things, and He offers us life in Him if we would come to Him and trust Him for forgiveness through His Son and life and our daily needs. The hypocrite has forgotten God, has forgotten how good and glorious He is, how loving, how wise, how powerful, how unfathomable, how how glorious, how faithful and true, and how pure, how just He is. The hypocrite has failed to see the rightness and the eternal reward of God's cause and has been blinded to the beauty of our glorious God and His kingdom. And so the hypocrite drinks dirty tap water of men's praise thinking it's champagne when God offers living water for those who trust Him and live for His reward. So Jesus warns us about living this way. When we know who God is, how glorious and worthy He is and His ways are, and how satisfying, our prayers are very different. The second character Jesus talks about in verse 7. He says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. The second person who prays wrongly is not necessarily hypocritical. They can be very sincere in their desire to see their prayers answered. But they don't truly know God. So their prayers end up being empty phrases, vain repetitions, meaningless babbling, recitations of words, Without the knowledge of God. The problem with this one, Jesus calls them the Gentiles, and these would be the people outside of Israel who do not know God. The problem with these people is they pray. They think the power of prayer is in the praying, not in the person to whom they pray. So if they can say the right words, the right way, the right amount of times, they'll get the right answer. They've forgotten that there's a God. They don't know what He's like. And so their, their focus is on the words themselves, the prayer itself. And if they can recite it right or do it many times, perhaps they can somehow get the deity to respond. The power for them is in the prayer, not the person of God. They, they seek, we seek when we do this, and we fit in these categories to manipulate God with the content and the manner of our prayer. And how sad and how ironic that often it's the Lord's prayer itself that can be for us that magic prayer. The whole point here is Jesus is teaching us how to pray and we can at times recite even the Lord's prayer as a magical prayer. If I just say this, somehow good things will happen to me. Now God's merciful and kind and And good things may happen to you as you pray that because God's good. But that's not prayer. That's not the prayer He's calling us to. We can recite that prayer thinking it will bring us results. Manipulating God somehow. It reminds me of uh, the practice of of some people I've talked to where they need to sell their house. Have you heard about this? They need to sell their house, so they take a statue of St. Joseph. St. Joseph is the, the, the patron saint of the home. They put it in their yard. They bury it upside down, like by the for sale sign. And the thinking is, I guess, uh, that, that St. Joseph will be a very uncomfortable upside down in the front yard. And so he'll kind of pull some strings with the big guy upstairs, you know, and, and get the get the the real estate market move in, at least for your house, and get it sold so that he can get turned right side up. And people do it. It's very common, actually. If you probably, I don't know, I'd guess as many as one in four folks out there do this. It's the same thing in these sort of prayers. If I can somehow manipulate God with this right way of acting, praying, I can get him to respond. We're like the folks that bury St. Joseph upside down. Trying to manipulate God. That's, that's totally unnecessary. 
it, it shows a total lack of understanding God's character. Now, I say that, and some of you here might be thinking, oh boy, I, I did that St. Joseph thing, and I do pray that our Father that way, and I have too. I do far too often think that it's the praying that is the power versus God. So you're, you're in a, uh, a welcome crowd here because we all do this. And the point here is not to merely feel bad about how we have failed to pray right, but to be called by Jesus himself to understand the things he's teaching so our prayer lives would be transformed and we might pray as he prays. He wants us to truly know God. To see that He's not some half-deaf miser that we have to somehow say the right incantation to get Him to act. He's much more glorious and merciful than that. To know what He's like and to have our prayers changed. To pray differently because we truly know God. So let's talk some more about the right ways to pray. Instead of praying on the street corners like the hypocrites to be seen by others. Jesus says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Those that know God know what He's like. And they know that He sees all things. They know that He is a mighty God. He is over all things. He sees all. There's no place you can go to escape from Him. He sees all things. And He's good. He's merciful. So He sees all and He's good. And He's holy. His goodness encompasses all these things. His holiness, His his rightness and all that He thinks and does. His justice to deal with things. He's a God who sees all. When we know God truly, we know He's a God who sees all, who's over all things, and in His goodness will respond to every single thing that happens on the face of the earth, whether public or private. No matter what it is. Scriptures teach us He responds. Sometimes He brings the answer soon. Sometimes it's not till the final day will He bring His answer. But He will answer it all. Because He sees all. And He's good. And when we know He's like that, it changes how we see our lives. It gives us the ability to live the same publicly and privately. To have the same outlook in all that we do when we recognize that God is overall, sees all, and is good. Scripture calls it the fear of the Lord. And it's the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord, it doesn't mean when it says the fear of the Lord that, that it's kind of a, a servile fear in the sense of like, oh no, if I don't do the right thing, He's going to smash me. But it's the sort of fear that says God is good and overall. And I live my life before Him. And He will deal with things I do wrong, and He will reward things I do right. It's the fear of the Lord. Now, I'm going to talk in a minute about where that drives us, because when we recognize that, there's, there's the good aspect of it that it makes us want to live for that true and lasting reward. But there's the other side of it is what he sees those thoughts I have. He sees those intentions. He sees those things, all the evil things I've done. I'm in trouble. We recognize that. But the fear of the Lord is living ever aware that God is ever aware. And he's good. And he's powerful. And when we do that, it changes everything. When we understand that, we want to live for him. And we recognize he's good. And there's nothing better than to be close to him. And to enjoy him. To enjoy relationship with him to draw closer to Him and to serve His purposes. We recognize there's no greater reward than to be close to Him and to be part of what He's doing. And He promises to reward such behavior. And when we live with that understanding, that awareness, it changes our prayers, it changes our whole life. We are rewarded. This is the promise of Jesus when we pray in secret that God who sees in secret will reward us. It's 
It's an inevitability of His character, who He is. And we are to live life in the awareness of God. So let me ask a question pertaining to prayer, pertaining to all of life. How much of your life do you live in the awareness of God? How much of your life do you live in the awareness of God? Do you conduct yourself in private as you do in public? Do you live before the ever-present gaze of God in all arenas of life, or do you forget Him? Do you forget Him and do things you know He would not want you to do? Or do you forget Him and don't do the things you know He would want you to do? We are made in the image of God. We're made by God to have a relationship with Him. And we are different than the animal kingdom in this way, that we are made in the image of God to know Him, to be like Him, to have a relationship with Him, to walk in His ways. It's inescapable. And mankind, because we are in the image of God and we are called by God to have a relationship with Him, we are incessant worshipers. We live to worship. We live to have a relationship with God or a God. And if we don't have a relationship with the God, we will immediately and consistently, immediately and consistently find an alternative. And if we do not live ever aware of God's presence, then we will live ever live for another God. The moments that you are not aware of God and His goodness and living for Him, there is something else operating as your functional God. And God wants us to live ever aware of Him and to experience the blessing of that. And we wander. But He is good. He's a good shepherd to call us back and to respond to anyone who call on Him and say, Lord, please help me. Help me live ever aware of You. Help me to recognize that You're great and You're good. Help me to to know that you're the best thing I could ever have and experience. Help me to remember the truth of your forgiveness. For the important part of all this is that when we really know who God is and His goodness, and then we look at ourselves, we recognize we're in trouble. So this whole thought of living ever aware of God for some of us is, yeah, that's wonderful. For some of us, that's terrible. But God in His mercy, in His great love, has sent His Son to live a life ever aware of the Father and all that He did. Every thought, every public thing, every private thing, Jesus lived ever aware, only doing what He saw the Father doing. His whole life, He pleased the Father perfectly to the point of death on a cross for sinners. He went to the cross. And He went to the cross he didn't have to. He had earned the favor of the Father. It was His decision to go to the cross. In His relationship with the Father, they planned that they would do this thing together where Christ would go to the cross and bear the sins of His people, all and any who would call on Him, to bear their sins, to pay for our sins, to offer satisfaction for the justice of God for a life lived not aware of God apart from Him to shed His blood, the blood of a holy and perfect God for our sins so we can be clean. And so when we live ever aware of God, we live ever aware of His mercy in His Son and we run to the Son and we receive that forgiveness. And we ask Him, Lord, help me. Thank You that You forgive me. And the Son died and He rose again and sent the Spirit with the Father, sending the Spirit together to us to experience this life so that we might have strength to live ever aware of God, ever dependent on Him. And so we run and we receive that forgiveness and we are to live ever aware of Him. When we get that, when we understand it, it changes how we live. 
in every way. And it changes how we pray, knowing He sees us. So the show doesn't matter a whole lot. Nothing wrong with the praise of men, but when we're living ever aware of God, it changes that. It puts it in its proper perspective, where we can be grateful and encouraged by it, but not holding on to it and trying to make it something it's not meant to be. And so we can pray in secret just as joyfully as we pray in public, knowing it's God who sees all. And we live ever aware of Him. So when we know who He is, truly it changes our prayers. Jesus continues teaching us about how to pray differently. Versus how the Gentiles do, those that don't know God, where they trust in their prayer and how they pray and how many times they pray to get God's attention. Jesus' response to that attitude is, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Do not be like them, for your Father, He's your Father. He loves you in the Son. If you've turned to Him through the Son, He loves you. He's for you. He's your Father. And He knows what you need before you ask Him. So you don't need to babble on and on and on to catch His attention. He knows already. Isn't that amazing? He knows our needs before we ask Him. Does that not change how we approach prayer? Before we say anything, He already knows what we're going to say. He already knows what we need. He, he only, not only does He know what we are aware of our needs, but He knows what our true needs are. He's there aware of that. And, and oh, is that so different than you and me, at least for me, I can speak for myself. It's different than I am. If I knew what your need was, or if I knew what you were going to say before you said it, I wouldn't be like the Father. The Father knows our needs. He knows what we're going to say, and He invites us to say it. He wants relationship with us. He wants, it's it's really amazing, He wants us to be part of what He's doing. He wants us to be part of that answer to prayer as we pray it. That says so much about God. Because I know if I were like that, and I know the times when when I know what someone's going to say, I don't do this always, hopefully. Right, honey? I, I don't think so. But I am tempted to be like, you know, when someone's talking, I can remember a time I was on the phone with somebody, a, a friend who was, um, I have to be careful how I say this, from the South, so they talk a little slower. I don't mean to insult you if you grew up in the South, but they, a lot of people in the South are a little more relaxed in how they talk versus New Englanders. who We talk like this all the time. We go really fast and come on, let's get it done. So I was on the phone with, with this person, and, and she was talking slow, kind of like this, and... We're going to do this. We can't wait till you get down here. because we're, I'm like, come on, come on, come on. I know what you're going to say. Finish the sentence. I didn't say that, but, but that was in my mind. Come on, come on. I know. Let's, let's move on. Quick, 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 quick. We've got the answer. God's not like that. Thank God. He knows what we need before we ask Him. And He loves us. And He wants to hear from us. And He cares. He wants us to share what our needs are with Him. There's no one like Him. He's our Father. He's our Heavenly Father. He's the perfect Father. Fatherhood is about many things, but I think we could boil it down to provision and protection and love. And good earthly fathers excel in these ways. Our Heavenly Father excels in these ways. He's provided for us in so many ways. Food and clothing, shelter, all the blessings that all of His creation share. And He is Father in a sense to all. But He is a Father especially to those who have run to Him for mercy and grace in His Son and have experienced that forgiveness and life and the Bible tells us adoption we have in Him, in Jesus, by the Spirit. He is the provider par excellence. He has provided for us in every way. He has provided His very own Son for us. And He wants to hear from us. He wants us to depend on Him. He knows our needs more than we do. He's our Father, our Heavenly Father. 
He protects us and wants to protect us. He loves us. So we don't have to pray formula prayers. We don't have to put St. Joseph upside down in the front yard. God knows what we need. And He's our Father. He invites us to come and ask Him. And He's able to do all that pleases Him, all that we would ask that is according to His will. We must know Him as our Heavenly Father if we are to pray like He would want us to pray. When we know Him as our Heavenly Father, we pray like He teaches us. We have a quote from Andrew Murray. It's the second quote, John, we could put up. It says, He would have us see that the secret of effectual prayer is to have the heart filled with the Father love of God. He who lets God be Father always and in everything, who would fain live his whole life in the Father's presence and love, who allows God in all the greatness of his love to be a Father to him, oh, he will experience most gloriously that a life in God's infinite fatherliness and continual answers to prayer are inseparable. We are to live our lives aware that he's our Father. And he wants to answer our prayers. And if we have a father like that, then let's pray and ask and talk to him. He knows all, and yet he calls us to pray. He calls us to ask. And it's a mystery. It's a mystery because we don't understand it all, and it's not how we operate. But it's how he operates. He knows what we need, and yet he calls us to to answer. John Calvin, in, in looking at this in his commentary and seeking to answer this, has the following to say about this and why God is after this. He says, Believers do not pray with the view of informing God about things unknown to Him or of exciting Him to do His duty or of urging Him as though He were reluctant. On the contrary, they pray in order that they may arouse themselves to seek Him that they may exercise their faith in meditating on His promises, that they may relieve themselves from their anxieties by pouring them into His bosom, in a word that they may declare that from Him alone they hope and expect, both for themselves and for others, all good things. God Himself, on the other hand, has purposed freely and without being asked to bestow blessings upon us. But he promises that he will grant them to or through our prayers. We must therefore maintain both of these truths. That he freely anticipates our wishes, and yet that we may obtain by prayer what we ask. Does that make sense? God invites us to pray. He knows what we need. He wants relationship with us. He wants to meet us in the very act of prayer, refresh us and remind us of who He is. And there's a, there's a blessing and power in prayer of communing with God and experiencing Him where His promises and His presence are, are alive. So He meets us in prayer and then He uses our prayers. He chooses to use our prayers to answer what we ask. What a wonderful way to approach prayer. How different than the one who doesn't know God, who thinks they have to get God to act through the right prayer. Or the one who does prayer for show. There's something so much better. There's a different kind of prayer that we pray when we know God. And so Jesus gives us an example of this prayer in the following verses. I'm sure we are all, or many of us, are very familiar with this prayer, the Lord's Prayer we call it, and the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. It's certainly nothing wrong with just praying right through this prayer, but it's not meant to be a special prayer that we pray to get God to act, It's it's not an incantation. It's a, it's a picture, it's a pattern 
of a right relationship with God expressed in prayer. And it's actually the verse up there is uh, related to the Ten Commandments because this prayer in many ways is, is mirrors the Ten Commandments. If you look at the Ten Commandments, the first thing the Lord says at the beginning of the Ten Commandments, before he says anything about what they shall or shall not do, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Before he asks them to respond to him, he declares who he is, what he's like. I am the one who rescued you guys. I am your God. I am your life. I am your identity. I am your strength. I am I'm your deliverer. I am the covenant-making and covenant-keeping God who has called you into relationship with myself by grace alone. I'm your God. And so the Ten Commandments starts like this. The Lord's Prayer starts... Our Father, who art in heaven. Before there's anything, there's our Father who art in heaven. There's the knowledge and experience of who He is. And then in the Ten Commandments, the next four commandments are commandments about how to relate to Him. Having experienced Him and His deliverance from Egypt and from slavery. Having experienced Him... In Christ, delivering us from sin into life eternal and knowing Him as our Father, now we pray this way. And in the Ten Commandments, now we live this way. We live to have no other gods before us. We live to, to make no false images of God. We live, to, we live to keep His name holy. We live to honor His Sabbath. And we pray, hallowed be Your name. There's no one like You, Lord. You are gracious and good and glorious. And You are worthy of all things. And in Your glory and in Your life is true life. And You are glorious beyond understanding. And we want to see You worshipped and magnified. And we need to live for Your glory. For that is where we find true life. Hallowed be Your name, Lord. There's no one like you. May you be lifted up and glorified everywhere. In my family, in my marriage, in my children, in my my extended family, in my church. Lord, would your name be hallowed in my neighborhood? Would your name be hallowed in the whole earth? Because there's no one like you. You are our Father. You're glorious and gracious. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your sweet kingdom. The wonder and the blessing of the experience of your reign when you are made the center of life. When we depend on you and rely on your grace and walk with you and walk in your ways, it is sweet. And that's the kingdom where the king is consciously acknowledged and followed and all the blessings that flow from that. That's the kingdom. May your kingdom come. May your will be done, which is for your kingdom to come and your name to be hallowed. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we know Him, when we know what He's like, these are the sort of prayers that flow out of our hearts. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not only that, but when we know God, we recognize We are created beings made by Him to be dependent on Him. And we are weak and we are needy and we're dependent creatures. We have no life truly apart from Him. And so we need Him. And so we pray, recognizing who He is and who we are, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, help us. We need these daily needs. We need food and We need shelter. We need your supply. God is good. And for some of us, this aspect of the prayer is more poignant than for others. Because there are some of us who are in a place financially where we're not sure about our daily bread. We're not sure about our monthly rent. We're not sure about these different bills. And the Father wants us to know that He's our Father and wants us to come and ask Him for our daily 
bread, and he will be faithful to supply. He's good. And we need to live ever aware of that. And, and, and I know you guys could do this. I could just tell story after story of his provision of daily bread. And, and I'm excited and, and for something we're able to do as a church. It's a small thing, but I, I believe it's part of the answer to this prayer for some of us. And by God's will, beyond our church as well, I'm, I'm excited about the loaves and fishes ministry. I've mentioned this before. We are starting a ministry for families that are kind of caught in the gap between food stamps and having a, a livable wage. Um, and that's about people who are about one to two the poverty level, one to two times the poverty level. Thank God there's things to help people below the poverty level and below, food stamps and other programs. But folks, there's a lot of folks caught in the middle here where they don't qualify for those other things, yet they don't have a real living wage. So they are in need. And so we as a church are seeking to, to minister to those folks and we're going to start with some of our own folks who are in that place. So we're already getting deliveries from Fantini Bread. We're looking forward to uh, relationships with some of the local supermarkets under the Good Samaritan Law. We get their, their day-old stuff, expired stuff. Uh, they're not liable for it. We can use it uh, and bless folks. So uh, I want to invite you to be part of that. You are free to give towards that. We're looking to do it cooperatively too. So it's something we're going to do together. But I'm excited for that because that's one way God will answer this prayer. And one way we've seen him do that in the past, when I, I think I might have shared the story before, when I was at the pastor's college, uh, we lived down in, uh, outside of D.C. And I had a stipend of $1,000 a month for my whole family. That's all we had. We had rent was covered, but, but living expenses were to come out of this $1,000 a month. And it may sound like a lot, but when you start thinking health insurance, Food, uh, just different bills, um, what else, gas, things like that. There's, at the end of the month, there's no money left. And God, in his goodness, in answering this prayer, give us this day our daily bread, so orchestrated things that our, the apartment we rented, without us knowing, happened to be two doors down from a family that ran a loaves and fishes type ministry. And every week they would get a big, huge shipment of Food. And the food wasn't like moldy old bread. Actually, it was really good stuff. They had a, a relationship with Trader Joe's, and so we had some of the best <laughs> eating that we ever had. We had all the brie and bagels we could ever want. I, lo- I like brie. I know some of you are like, brie? Who wants brie and bagels? I love brie and bagels. And one of my favorite foods to this day is a bagel with brie and some white fish, because we got this white, remember, honey? We got this white fish. This really nice pate, whitefish stuff. It was really, you can tell I liked it, right? It was really good. <laughs> brie and ba- a bagel with brie and whitefish. And that was oh so good. And where did it come from? Our Father. Who is good. And knew my family needed food. And provided it for us. And he wants us to ask because of who he is. Give us this day our daily bread. Kind of finishing up here, this wonderful prayer. The next is forgive us our debts. To live before our Heavenly Father is to be aware of our debts, our sins against Him. If we are honest, and we don't like being honest about this, and I never enjoy talking about this aspect of life that's an ever-present reality for all of us, we fall short of his good and right commands to love him, to love each other, and what we do and what we fail to do. To live before him is to be aware of our debts to him. And he's provided for us in Christ. And if we are in the family, if we've turned and put our faith in him, we are always in the family. And yet, that's not enough just to say, well, hey, I'm in the family, I can just do what I want. No, he wants us to relate to him. To have a healthy, ongoing relationship with him means facing the reality of our regular sin and saying, Lord, I'm sorry, I don't want to do this. I might remain Peg's husband even if I do things that are improper, but I can't take that for granted and and just say, well, yeah, she'll forgive me, forget. If I want to have a relationship with Peg that's intimate and healthy, I'll say, honey, I'm sorry for the tone of my voice and what I said. Please forgive me. 
To live before our Father is to be aware of our shortcomings and to say, forgive us our debts, O Lord. And to live before our Father having received such forgiveness is to be able to say, I forgive my debtors. To extend that same forgiveness to others. If we know that forgiveness. And that's why Jesus says, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven by your Father. Because obviously, if you don't forgive others, you have not truly experienced the forgiveness of the Father. To experience the forgiveness of the Father means we forgive others. And so to live before our Father, knowing Him, is to say, forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And then finally, the band could come up as we close. We recognize we're weak, and we need help, and we need protection. So the final prayer is, lead us not into temptation. There is sin within. James talks about, I think we have a verse to put up from James. James talks about temptation coming from what's in. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Sadly, in our hearts, until the day we go to be with the Lord, is this, this crazy propensity to find our life outside of God. So there's temptation all around us, and we recognize our need, and we recognize God's goodness. We say, Lord, lead us not into temptation. Help us. We need your strength to say no and yes to you. Lead us not into temptation. We want you. We want to stay close to you. And then there's sin within, and then there's sin without as well. He finishes with, but deliver us from evil. God, we need your help. There's a real devil. And he would have us and consume our lives. And yet our Father is great and powerful and wants to hear our prayer, saying, Lord, deliver us from the evil one, the devil and the world. These are the sort of prayers we pray when we know God. To know God... To truly know God is to pray differently. Not for show, not to manipulate Him, but because He's good and glorious, we come with hearts to worship, desire for His will to be done, and ever dependent on our good and gracious Father. Let's pray. Father, teach us to pray. Teach us to base how we pray on who you are. There's no one like you. You are good and glorious. So fill our minds and hearts with a picture and a knowledge and experience of you. And lead us in prayer that flows from that. Prayers for your kingdom to come and your name to be hallowed. Prayers for our needs, corporately and individually. Teach us to pray. And be glorified in it, we ask. In Christ's name.